the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finn, and we've got a wonderful show for you today. In this half hour of the show, we will be speaking with Carolyn Normandin, who is the director of the ADL Detroit office. We'll be talking about expanding the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to include anti-Semitism, something which just went down this past week. This is fresh stuff. Second half of the hour, there is no portion as it is Sukkot, and uh, Simchus Torah is the end of the week, so we'll be talking about Simchus Torah. We'll have a Simchus Torah story all the way at the end. We've got some really cool music throughout the show. Before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. Israel is selling its Arrow 3 missile system to Germany for $3.5 billion. The deal is the largest of its kind in Israel's history. So Israel has really become a munitions manufacturer, but this is defense weapons. A follow-up to the story from last week, the FBI arrested a man in Peru and charged him with 150 counts of making anti-Semitic bomb threats via email from July to this past week. The man set bomb threats to synagogues in 14 states right before the Rosh Hashanah holiday. The Biden administration, is what we're going to be talking about today in this half hour of the show, announced that it is instructing eight cabinet departments to extend civil rights protections to victims of anti-Semitism and other forms of religious bigotry. The decision marks a broad expansion of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, and we're going to get more insight into that later on coming up. And finally, Israel is now part of the no-visa program to enter the U.S. 
Israeli citizens will no longer need to go through the month-long process of gaining entrance to the U.S. In return, Israel will allow Palestinian Americans to enter Israel through Ben-Gurion Airport and travel directly to the West Bank and Gaza. And that's the news. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurances accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Shulfin, here you are listening to the Jewish Hour. We have online Carolyn Normandin, who is the director of the ADL Anti-Defamation League office in Detroit. We're going to be talking about expanding the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to include anti-Semitism in government offices. How are you today, Carolyn? I'm well, thank you, Rabbi. Um, and, And you? Thank God. Thank you for asking. Thank you for taking out some of your time right in this busy time. So tell us, first of all, for those people who are uninitiated, what the 1964 Civil Rights Act tried to accomplish. So the Civil Rights Act of 1964 tried to put in all types of um, articles that helped uh, establish guideposts for people to have general civil rights. And over the years, there's been some some effort to sort of dismantle parts of it, um, and some of it did, was successful in dismantling civil the Civil Rights Act in terms of some of the voter um, voter policies. Those have been fear, ferociously um, uh, fought by organizations like the ADL because we believe everyone should have a right to vote. Um, but one of the most significant things is that. The White House um, that in May created a strategy against anti-Semitism, and that's a standalone strategy with dozens and dozens of actual distinct policy recommendations, and that's really important. Okay, so let me just to clarify things because there's some things which I sort of like they're they're kind of muddled in my brain. The the what was tried to be done way back when was to guarantee the what the Declaration of Independence says is the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for everybody. And if you make, right. it, in, if you make it in broad terms like that, that anybody who uh, comes after anybody else uh, just because they are different than them, so it would be guilty of a hate crime, et cetera, et cetera. So it seems like, though, if you're going to start – Checking off boxes, well, does this include this? Yes. Does this include this? Yes. So it seems like it then becomes like exclusionary to other things. Couldn't they just like keep it really broad and say everybody? That's a great question. I'm really glad you asked that. Typically speaking, for people, I would say particularly non-Jewish people, 
figure that there are protections because there are protections for religion. But most of the time, those protections guarantee your right to be able to pray or, you know, go to the synagogue of your choice or the mosque of your choice or the church of your choice. But sometimes anti-Semitism doesn't have much to do with religion. And it sounds odd to say that, but it's really true. And when you look at the rises in anti-Semitism over the last several years, more than a half a dozen years, you see that the kinds of issues that are impacting the Jewish community have very, very little to do with religion. They have to do with otherness, you know, scapegoating, the, the, the tropes that we're all very familiar with, the power trope, the greed trope, the lie, blood libel trope, anti-Zionism, those tropes. So when you look at the provisions that are in some of the, the laws, and I'm not a, an expert on the law, um, but I am an expert on what's going on in, in terms, especially in Michigan, with anti-Semitism. And what we see is a rise of anti-Semitism. So this, this particular strategy, the White House strategy, was the first ever of its kind in our entire U.S. history where an administration actually um, um, sought out to codify anti-Semitism as um, something that we must work against and make sure that specific strategies and people and offices and um, actual policies um, connected to anti-Semitism. And I can't um, really overstate the value of this first ever comprehensive national strategy. Okay, so I'm still a little bit confused. Somebody who perpetrated some sort of a an anti-Semitic act in, up until now was charged with a hate crime in addition to whatever it was that that person did. So what are we looking to do now that's different than it had been? Well, that, you're asking really great questions. First of all, um, <laughs> you do a great job. So first Thank of you. all, Let's talk about what makes a hate crime. In, 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 and again, I'm not law enforcement. I do work with law enforcement. I'm not a lawyer. I do work with a lot of lawyers. And so I know this to be true. In order for a hate crime to be charged, there has to have two things happen. One, there has to be a crime. And I, and I don't mean to sound contrite or silly. Um, freedom of speech, yelling you know, something horrible about Jewish people on a street corner is protected by the First Amendment in, in the United States. So hate speech is not a crime. Now, when hate speech is connected with an act that is a crime, that can be charged as a hate crime. And there are federal, there's a federal statute, a national federal statute called the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Act. And that's been around uh, for about 13 years, I think. Um, and then there are state statutes. Not every state has a statute, but 46 out of the 50 U.S. states have statutes. And Michigan does have a hate crime statute. Um, if you commit a crime while saying a racial or anti-Semitic or anti-gay epitaph while you're doing it, um, then it can be charged as a hate crime. And hate crimes have a very high bar 
you have to prove intent. So let's just say, for argument's sake, um, I came in and I and I bashed you on the head. Well, of course, assault is a crime. But if and and I could be charged with a crime. But if I came in and bashed you on the head and assumed that you were Jewish, whether I whether you really were or not, if the intention was to harm a Jewish person or a black person or a gay person, and, and as the person and as I was saying, as I was doing the act. I was saying something negative about Jewish people, like, I hate all Jews, and I am going to bash you in the head because you are Jewish. That often, those are the kinds of things can, that can prove intent. And this is very, it's very complicated. So that's it in a nutshell. So number one, a hate crime can be charged if there's an intent to commit a crime because of a characteristic. And there's a crime being committed. Okay, let me ask you. What uh, does, let me just ask you. So does it work the other way around? Let's say so. I'm a just Jewish person, okay, and I really don't like rednecks. Let's just say, and I go and I smash somebody and I say, I hate rednecks. Are white people who are normally privileged also uh, would I be charged with a hate crime because I hate you, rednecks? You, you, it depends on the statute. It depends on the state that it happens. And again, I'm not an expert on the law. But there are a lot of variables. But ostensibly, yes, for any – I shouldn't say – I've never seen a hate crime statute that says specifically calls out rednecks. And I don't – you know, that, you know somebody who stands out in the, in the sun and has a redneck and is kind of a rural person, I've never seen that in a state statute. I don't know if there are any state statutes that that, that call that out. But you initially said, why can't we – just have a general hate crimes law. It's because if these things aren't called out, then sometimes people aren't protected. So some of the characteristics that are called out often are race, religion, um, ethnicity, um, disability, uh, veteran status, um, uh, LGBTQ plus status. And of course, um, and by the way, I should mention that in Michigan, our hate crime statute does not take does not particularly cover ethnicity, gender expression, gender identity, or disability. And currently, there is a law that has a, a, a bill that has passed the House and is waiting to go into the Senate to include those very important characteristics. And let's talk about ethnicity. As Jews, sometimes Jews are very tied up in their ethnicity for being Jewish, like a, a Mizrahi Jew or somebody who who has um, roots somewhere else in the in the world um, is not a white you know European Jew but has other ethnicities associated with them and Jewishness often is portrayed as ethnicity and that's a long discussion rabbi it's one of those discussions that rabbis would have with their students and it could go on and on and on but the point of my me bringing that up is it's really important to include as many characteristics as possible because what we see is in the years since 1964 people have used different methods to take out some of those some of those characteristics and we need everyone to be covered particularly Jewish the Jewish community really really needs to stand together with um, other people who are are in the minority category, because um, as we we know at ADL, it's our part of our mission. We 
we combat anti-Semitism, but we also work to um, to ensure the rights for everyone because we believe that no one is safe until Jews are safe and Jews aren't safe until everyone is safe. So it's very linked in our support for um, other minority communities. is very linked into the work we do at ADL. Okay. Our guest again is Carolyn Normandin. She is the director of the Anti-Defamation League chapter of Detroit. We're talking about expanding the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to include anti-Semitism. Okay. So what happened this week, Carolyn? So, well, in in May, the White House um, announced a national strategy to combat anti-Semitism. And that strategy was very, very important. Um, it, for a number of reasons. Number one, it identified the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism as part of the strategy. So why is that important? People who have heard me talk about anti-Semitism know I believe it's really important to name something. I believe language helps us identify um, things and, and understand things better. We just had a several minute discussion about just, you know, what is a hate crime and how can it be charged and and can it be charged to everyone, depending on whether or not their their status is included in the characteristics of hate crime. All that is is a wonderful um, point. It points to the fact that you have to name things. So the idea that the that there is a definition of anti-Semitism and I would say for people who question this strategy or any strategy, nothing is perfect. Um, I have a colleague that always said, um, it's, it's a quote I love, we can't let the complexity of a situation paralyze us. And what she meant by that is you have to start somewhere, especially with complex problems. So taking a problem like anti-Semitism and then adding uh, language around it is one step. So that's one thing it did. The other thing it did um, was take, like outline mission critical steps to push back on the rising tide of hate across society. That This strategy aligns 200 provisions across four pillars to um, increase awareness of the threat of anti-Semitism, celebrate Jewish American heritage, improve safety and security for the Jewish community, and reverse the normalization of anti-Semitism, as well as um, in, in efforts to, like specific policies to build cross-community solidarity. I think these are all really important. Um, I always really, really concern myself with the normalization or the commonization of anti-Semitism. Um, the best example of that is it used to be um, that people relied on using the phrase, you're a Nazi, only to Nazis, only to people who were part of the Nazi movement in Germany who sought to, um, um, you know, commit genocide against the Jewish community. People didn't use that language freely. But now in the last several years, it's become very normal to say to somebody, I don't like what you said. That seems too restrictive to me. Therefore, this is a Gestapo policy, or this is a not. You are a Nazi. I think, so I think that idea, might have come from. I think that might have come from way back with Seinfeld when he had the soup Nazi, which I always thought was like mm, pushing the envelope too much. 
It, it, you know what? There are several things that push the envelope and some things, you know, my husband and I have this conversation all the time because there are some things that we grew up with that maybe as we take a, a further look at them, continue to sort of um, perpetuate some of these old myths or unacceptable behaviors. I think you're right. It's it's not, you know, and, and I left you know, in the 80s along with everyone because it was so outrageous. Um, but part of comedy sometimes is outrageous. Um, so I think you're right. It might have started in, you know, with this idea that you can laugh at the outrageous. But where it's gone now is the average person doesn't feel any compunction whatsoever. Um, it happened to, in, in calling out somebody because they disagree with them. And it's really promulgated on social media. Um, you see these wild, wild um, statements that try and draw equivalency, like it, it happened a lot during the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, um, where people were, were arguing about whether or not to wear masks or whether or not to close schools or close businesses or get, get immunizations. And all of a sudden it turned from, a common enemy, which was a virus, and how to deal with a virus that was killing people. And it turned into, um, I don't like what you're saying about me having to wear a mask, therefore you are a Nazi. And so it really, we saw this just giant spike in sort of this common rhetoric. And so how do you deal with that? One of the ways that you deal with that is by putting in specific ideology, specific language, specific policies to kind of re reverse the normalization of that kind of thing. I just choose that one because it's so prevalent, but there are more than 200 um, <coughs> different provisions and 30 distinct policy recommendations as part of this finding. Um, and I think that's really, really important. Okay, understood. Okay, so again, Carolyn Armanden, who's the director of the ADL, and we're talking about anti-Semitism in the government, what they're trying to do to combat, combat it. So, so that happened in, in May. So there's like this idea that there's going to be this huge umbrella uh, expanse against anti-Semitism, which I would assume would include, and you correct me, is like things like uh, uh, discussing anti-Semitism in, in school, making it part of a school curriculum and having town hall meetings, et cetera, like that, because the way I think that anti-Semitism can be combated is through education and communication. That's always, that's, I've been saying that. Absolutely. I've been saying that since I was uh, 17. So what, the, what did President Biden do this week that uh, pushed it a little bit more or, or furthered the cause, you might say? Well, when he talks about things, um, especially in speeches, um, uh, it, it gives it gives us it gives a strength to it. Um, I think one of the things that I think is really crucial about a strategy like this is, and I've mentioned it before, it's the first ever strategy that was put forth by an administration, and it was put forth with policy recommendations. Those will stay on long after the president um, leaves office. Um, I'm talking about for years. Um, uh, he, you know, he he can say something in a speech, or he can tout something, or make um, 
something known uh, by, in in a in a remark. But if it's not if it's not woven into the fabric of the country, it will go with him. Um, so I think it's really crucial to understand that um, every time you you talk about it in 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 stronger terms, um, especially when the leader of the free world talks about it, it's really important. Okay, so this last week, so yesterday, as a matter of fact, if we were, we're doing this live, whatever, but this last week on Thursday, so he, oh yeah, so he yeah. he said that um, he he broadened the the idea of anti-Semitism to eight cabinet positions, and that's yes. specifically what I'm looking for. What what uh, did he do specifically for that in that instance? So again, this is. This is part of the strategy. He set a deadline for May of 2024 to uh, have this to be implemented across the executive branch. And it includes some of the list of, of the, the strategy itself. And I would, I would urge anybody to go to, you know, Google White House strategy on anti-Semitism. Um, so one of the things that the White House said is that staff at the U.S. Department of Agriculture the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Homeland Security, Housing and Urban Development, the Interior, Treasury, Labor, Transportation, all the top cabinet posts um, must include, um, you know, uh, must must be told about some of the 1964 um, acts of, uh, to ban discrimination based on anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, and other forms of religious bias. And I think that really, really kind of spells it out. A few minutes ago, we were talking about, you know, um, naming something. So when the, so this is more than just actually naming it. He named what the, the actual acts, such as anti-Semitism and Islamophobia, those kind of things. But he also established the fact that the action was going to be included with his cat. And so this is really um, putting, you know, money where the mouth is. It's really um, any training, any, any, first of all, education, which you just mentioned, education and communication. It's at the heart of combating anti-Semitism and other forms of hatred. We know anti-Semitism has been around for thousands of years. And as you rightly pointed out, the only way you can counteract some of this hatred is by teaching, learning, and accepting. And I mean, me learning about other communities, you learning about other communities, and them learning about us. So by talking about some of the tropes, some of the understanding of what where anti-Semitism comes from, what um, President Biden is doing is saying, I'm going to take the next step. I put this in a strategy with all these pillars. Now I'm going to take an action that requires these high-level staff positions to be trained, to understand, to um, make sure that they know what they're talking about. Um, And I think that helps to get rid of some of the things that we talked about, sort of identifying, you know, for you and I to have a conversation with a Jewish community about the blood libel and where it comes from, or the protocols of the learned elders of Zion and how that is promulgated on the internet right now um, in every 
every day on uh, you know in on digital platforms that's that's something that um we need to do we need to inform ourselves but when when cabinet positions are required to make that part of their working daily efforts that's what i meant when i talked about weaving this kind of thing into the fabric of an organization so that it lives on long after the the president biden or his cabinet are gone because it lives on with the staff members who are left behind this you know the sort of the um the uh working people that work at the white house or in cabinet uh, you know support cabinet offices who are there whether the president is a republican or a democrat that's that's how you weave it into the fabric of an organization or of a community or of a country okay um just a couple more questions the big question is looming in my mind is okay so he uh, made the president made this directive to the eight to eight cabinet positions and in my mind these are not these are middle positions these are not top he didn't say anything to the military department of the military department of state department of education so they're not included in this list so is this just a start do you know anything you have any and what's what's why specifically these eight when there's like 24 cabinet positions why don't you just say okay everybody every cabinet position there's every department you have to start doing this well, you know, I can't live in the mind of President Biden, but what I can say, let me just take, for example, um, like the, the, the Department of Housing or, you know, agriculture, something that you know, where people, let's just take something of very basic necessity, and that's food. So if you're making decisions on food and you have the opportunity to know about the Jewish community and that a, no, a large number of people have dietary restrictions and it doesn't have to just include the Jewish community we know that our Muslim friends also have um, dietary restrictions many groups do so um, just just by virtue of that I, again I come back to my my colleague uh, uh, quote we can't let the complexity of a situation paralyze us we need to start with certain certain aspects the education piece is really crucial to me and and I look forward to expansion of some of that into education services. I would say that from my perspective, most teachers, uh, administrators, superintendents I am talking to right now have their hands pretty full with trying to get young people back in classrooms after the pandemic and get them, you know, accoladed to being in in regular classroom situations. And I, that's just my speculation. I can't possibly know um, what's in the minds of mind of President Biden, but I'm pretty happy that he's starting with these eight, and I'm pretty happy that um, he's, uh, he's starting somewhere to begin to give this strategy legs. I would urge anyone on this in, on this, who's listening to this program, to go onto the White House, go onto Google and just Google White House strategy, and and read it and understand all these different aspects. I would also say that ADL had a seat at the table in creating some of these pillars. We we gave a list of what we thought were important um, strategies for to be in a in a whole 
scale a, a whole of society strategy like this, knowing for 110 years we've been, um, you know, recording, um, analyzing, and and distributing data about the rise of anti-Semitism, and the rise that we've seen in the last few years is very, very concerning. So the fact that we had a seat at the table to be able to give some hard and fast um, guidelines on what we thought this um, strategy should entail was really important. And so I'm I'm really glad that we we will see, we begin to see, and we will continue to see um, a way of weaving this into the fabric of our country. Okay, that's wonderful. That's going to do it for us. Our guest today, has, again, has been Carolyn Normandon, director of the AD, the Anti-Defamation League chapter of Detroit. We've talking, been talking about expanding the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to include anti-Semitism, and hopefully we won't need to have this conversation, hopefully sometime in the very near future. We want to thank you so much, Carolyn, for coming on and uh, enlightening us with uh, the, your uh, very important uh, insights. Thank you, Rabbi. From your mouth to God's ears, okay. it would be wonderful for me to work myself out of a job here. There you go. Okay, we're going to take a quick <laughs> commercial. Shalom. Thank you so much. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Don't go away. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Herschel Fitman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. This is, this is you know, the uh, time that we're in right now is called Zman Simchasenu, the time of our rejoicing. And we're culminating that with the uh, on the weekend with Shmini Harris and Simchas Torah. So we got some lively music for you. This is Benny Friedman, brand new. This is called 222. It's more of a Rosh Hashanah song, but the whole point of it is not to be celebrating Rosh Hashanah, but it says that the ram that... Abraham offered instead of Isaac, which we read, read that in on Rosh Hashanah, had two horns. One horn was blown at the giving of the Torah on Sinai. The other one will be blown to usher in the Messianic era. And that's what this song's about. So it's 222. It's the sound of the, the called the Shofar Hagodel, the great Shofar. Let's listen.
We all know there's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community, and Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813. That's 800-603-1813. Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Up next, this is the Pressburg Klezmer Band. Pressburg is a city which, depending on what week it was or is, is I think in the Czech Republic. Could be it's Hungary, could be it's Slovakia. Like I said, it depends where the border's moving at what given time. So there were some very famous, prominent um, rabbis. The Sam Sofer was in Pressburg. That uh, and he identified himself as a Hungarian, but I think it's Czech. I think it was the Czech Republic. But wherever it is, it's the Pressburg Klezmer Band, and the song's called Roots.
Why go anywhere else when you could go to One Stop Kosher? Located on Greenfield Road, just south of 696, you're never far from One Stop Kosher. At One Stop Kosher, you'll find the largest selection of kosher wines in Michigan. One Stop Kosher has the freshest produce, the best dairy, deli, and meats. They're gourmet. They even have a kosher bakery right on the premise. It's One Stop Kosher on Greenfield Road in 696 for all your shopping needs. Herschel Friedman here. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. One of the genre of Jewish music that we are wont to play is parody. And sometimes the parodies come through are pretty cool. And sometimes they're like, mm, and I don't play them. But this one is being played. This is um, courtesy of Temple Israel in West Bloomfield. And uh, it's, called a, it's called Sukkah. And it's a parody of a song called Sugar. And so let's listen to this song about Sukkah. The summer's over, Sukkot is here. Over in Israel, the harvest time is near. We celebrate that God gift us fed, providing veggies and grains to make our bread. I don't care if there's bamboo on top or it's covered in natural skah, but I'm here it shows me the truth. Oh, baby, cause I love me the way that it feels. And I'm gonna eat all of my meals, sitting under that sweet little boo.
Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Feminine here. You are listening to the Jewish Hour. There is no portion this week as the we're concluding the holiday of Sukkot, or Sukkot. This weekend, Saturday is Shmini Yitzeres, and Sunday is Simchas Torah. The Shmini Yitzeres is, is biblical. It says that you'll take the eighth day and you'll uh, make it a holy convocation. It's technically not part of Sukkot. And, and, for example, in Israel, where there's only eight days, there is not a ninth day like there is outside. And we can, we've explained that in the past as to why the, why the discrepancy so they people don't eat in the sukkah already starting Saturday, Friday night. They're in the house, whereas we don't go into the house until Saturday night. The um, Shmini Yitzharis is sort of like it's the cap to the Rosh Hashanah holiday. We've already had Friday is actually an interesting day. It's the still part of Cholomai. It's still part of the, the week of sukkahs. But there are extra prayers that are mentioned as we're using the example of the book thing. And so Rosh Hashanah, we're written in the Book of Life, and Yom Kippur, the book is sealed. And on Hashanah Rabbah, the last day of Holomite Sukkot, so the book is put on the shelf. So that leaves us then at Shmini Yatzeris. It's like we have one more day. And in the Kind, it's talked about in the Medrash that Sukkot is a celebration of mankind. It really is. It's for the all the nations of the world because what's one of the the major th- celebrations on Sukkot in the temple time for sure was water. It's the beginning of the rainy season and in Israel and if it rains people eat that's basically what it is. And so it's recognized universally. It's one of those universal principles people need to drink water. And so on Sukkot, the Jews are offering up sacrifices in the temple 2,000 years ago on behalf of all the nations of the world that all the nations of the world should have enough water, thereby enough to eat, therefore enough livelihoods to make it through the next year. I guess Jews care about everybody. Then comes Shmini Yitzaris. Shmini Yitzaris, there was one sacrifice offered, and that was on behalf of the Jewish people because... God says, I want you to gather together as my good buddy. You put in so much work till now. You've already been through month of Elul and Rosh Hashanah and the 10 days of repentance and Yom Kippur and running around buying a sukkah and getting a lulav and putting up the schach and dealing with this and then sitting in the sukkah for seven days, eight days as the case may be. And then finally, so I want you to now just chill, celebrate just because it's a holiday. And that's, that's the idea. 
comes Simcha's Torah, which is Saturday night. So that celebrates the conclusion of the reading of the Torah in the synagogue. And we will conclude the reading on Sunday. We will do, The portion there will be the portion of Bracha, which we should first say a little bit about the portion of Bracha, which this is Moses' final words to the Jewish people. And what it says at the end of the portion is, is that Moses climbed Mount Nebo, which is located in Jordan, opposite Jericho, and was shown the whole entire Israel, it says, Ad Yam Ha'acharon, to the end of the sea, which could really be translated Ad Yom Ha'acharon, until the end of days, that Moshe was shown to the very last day till Mashiach comes, and was very impressed by our generation that here we are, we are in exile, we're not in the lands that of ours, and we're still practicing our Judaism and hearing our Judaism, still talking about something that Moses was talking about 3,300 years ago. Moses was amazed. So Simcha's Torah is definitely Jewish party time. And that is going to segue into this Hasidic story, which we will hear on the other side of this commercial. Don't go away. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Some things are better the way they used to be, like the crisp feel of a cool autumn day, the serenity of a baby sleeping, or the feeling of coming home after a long trip. Franklin Cider Mills makes cider the way cider is supposed to be. Its old-fashioned, clear, crisp taste reminds you of a cool autumn day. Located in the heart of historic Franklin Village at 14 Mile and Franklin Road, Franklin Cider Mill has been making cider the same way for over a century, always fresh, with no additives or preservatives. You just can't buy Franklin Cider in any supermarket. Franklin Cider Mill is open from Labor Day weekend to after Thanksgiving from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. Come visit Franklin Cider Mill. It's kind of like coming home. Hey, Shulfinman here. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Would you like to get in touch with me? Go to RabbiFinman.com. And RabbiFinman.com, you'll have a way to get in touch with me. There's all different ways in which we can vey various and different misses and mivs, missives and messages on the website in various different tabs and it's all for your entertainment, enjoyment, and education. And there's also the donations page, which we don't need to talk about this week because the month of October has been paid by a generous donor who paid for September and October. So we're not going to talk about the donations page, but you go there, check that out too. And uh, all things good. So, Simcha's Torah. I'm not sure exactly when this story happened. Sometime, probably the late 1700s, early 1800s. The protagonist is one, Zusha of Anapoli. Anapoli is a city which is located in what we would call today Belarus. Uh, if it is still exists. I'm not even sure. Because back then it was like four blocks by four blocks, the whole town. It was a very Jewish shtetl, yes, a little village. And this Zusha of Anapoli was a person whose legs were just not long enough to hit the ground. He just lived in another sphere of existence. So it says that he was uh, he was in Mizrich, I believe. I'm not sure about the detail. this detail. If someone wants to correct me, they can send me a note at RabbiFinman.com. But I believe he was in Mizrich by his Rebbe, the Mizritcher Magid, and uh, the successor to the Baal Shem Tov. And it was after Simcha's Torah, and he had a dream or a vision, and he was up in heaven. And he saw up in heaven, the place was littered with torn shoes. 
And he's wondering, what is all this trash doing in heaven? It's just like, doesn't anybody ever clean up the place? And how does trash get in heaven to begin with? So he was told, yesterday was Simcha's Torah. And on Simcha's Torah, there's a mitzvah to dance. The Torah wants to dance, but the Torah doesn't have any legs. So we hold the Torah and we dance while holding the Torah, and the Torah is happy, so to speak. That's what it says in the books. And what I've been saying, the Rizal says, the father of the Kabbalah, what you didn't cry on Yom Kippur, you could make up by dancing on Simchus Torah. And people really do take this to heart. There are people who do not sleep the entire Simchus Torah. They're just dancing the whole night away. Sounds like a, a rock and roll song from the 50s. But that's the, that's the idea. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter your race, creed, religion. It doesn't matter your religion. You ought to be Jewish. Race, creed, uh, gender, etc. The idea is to dance. So what happens when you dance? And if you're dancing really hard, your shoes get ripped. So the Almighty looked at those shoes as having worn out in the performance of a mitzvah. And so to the Almighty, those ripped shoes were precious. That's going to do it. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope you had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a wonderful holiday. All simple, you know, Holomoyed Sukkis, do all kinds of things. Shake your love. If you're in the area and need to shake a lulav and whatnot, you can stop by 1725 Pinecrest Drive. We've got the largest sukkah in Ferndale. We're open 24-7 during sukkahs. And uh, stop by and, uh, you know, we'll uh, have a happy sukkahs and dance your toes off. And we'll see you next week. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>